So welcome to Judgment Day. <laughs> I hope that didn't trigger any old personal experience. Um, I was I was actually um, teaching a day long similar to this one in Chico. Uh, this was right around the time that that uh, Oakland minister had prophesied the end of the world. Remember that a few years ago? And right as I was getting near where I was teaching, I saw this big poster saying, Judgment Day is near, or Judgment Day is happening. And I said, oh, they did really good publicity. (laughs) There's also, someone sent me, there's a uh, bumper sticker that you can get that says, uh, non-judgment day is near. (laughs) So So, again, want to welcome everyone. Uh, My name is Donald Rothberg, and I'm one of the uh, Spirit Rock teachers here. And again, uh, I'm pleased to see a lot of familiar faces and then a number of people whom I'm just meeting uh, for the first time. Uh, I'll give a little bit about my own personal background and, um, and then talk about the uh, structure of the day uh, and some kind of ways to approach the day and then get right into the uh, content area. Let's see, so um, I sometimes think of my own uh, background in, in three areas. I have uh, training and experience in, in a number of Buddhist traditions and quite a few other spiritual traditions. The main training is in the lineages that uh, Spirit Rock represents, that is the traditions of mindfulness and loving-kindness and wisdom practices coming out of South and Southeast Asia, uh, particularly Burma and Thailand and have uh, practiced in those approaches. Sometimes uh, I I teach a number of uh, retreats here, including sometimes our two-month retreat and loving-kindness retreat and so forth. And have also background, some background in Zen, but uh, quite quite a fair amount of background also in Tibetan tradition, particularly in uh, Dzogchen and Mahamudra traditions. And over the years have had a a lot of exposure to other traditions. Um, Had for a long time learned a lot from Christian contemplative traditions. I lived for four years in Kentucky and would go out to the monastery of Gethsemane where Thomas Merton was a monk and still actually go there once a year. Um, And have still kept connections with uh, some of the monks there. Uh, have also some background in uh, Jewish mystical traditions and once lived in a Jewish neo-Hasidic commune. (laughs) And then uh, have also really valued uh, learning from indigenous traditions and for a number of years I co-led the uh, um, meditation and sweat lodge day longs that we used to do with an elder named Fred Wapapa, where we combined silent meditation with the sweat lodge and have also been uh, taken in by some uh, First Nation friends, particularly in Canada, into uh, ceremonies. That's been important for me. So um, mix of mix of backgrounds in that way. 
and um, maybe secondly also uh, really have valued the um, exploration of ways to make this practice alive in this culture, in daily life here, with the kind of uh, you know institutions and culture and issues that we have, and you know in that way uh, important for me has been the uh, integration of meditation and psychology and psychotherapy. I have a background in uh, body-based psychotherapy with the Hakomi training, some of you know, and also background in uh, trauma work, uh, both of which have influenced a lot how I approach the issue of judgmental mind. And also teach on uh, mindful communication, periodic retreats here. Also, play, won't come in so much in a day long, but when I teach retreats on transforming the judgmental mind, we give attention to that. And when I work with people in the follow-up groups, we, we, after a while we really give attention to uh, working with judgments in interactive contexts, including speech. So, I'm so sorry. Okay. I need a good. Good. <laughs> so, um, that's been quite important. And maybe related to that, uh, lastly, uh, for a long time I've had an uh, interest in connecting inner practices with social service and social change work. And um, have uh, helped to organize and have directed a number of uh, training programs for people who are out there in the world doing service and social change work uh, for about the last uh, uh, 20 20 years or so. Um, With Buddhist Peace Fellowship and here at Spirit Rock we had a two-year program and uh, did a book which sort of brought a lot of that work together. Um, which is out on the table. You can take a, take a look and there's a, you know, if you purchase it, I'm willing to sign it. <laughs> so, okay. You can take a look at that. So that, that also will influence this work on, on a judgmental mind. So that's uh, some, of a, um, some of a bio. And um, before I talk about the day, I have to ask that someone with a gray infinity, I didn't know there was a car called infinity, but I'm not, I don't track this stuff too closely. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone with a gray infinity, 6FKT353, anyone? Yeah, um, apparently you're, um, I was, didn't say why, but you may be blocking some, someone who needs to leave. So could you go to the back or see Paige and she'll let you know what to do. So the, um, the structure of the day long We'll have uh, four parts or four sessions in here, uh, two in the morning and two in the afternoon. Uh, the first ses- we'll have the first session, which will be more an introduction, an overview, talking about the whole uh, nature of the judgmental mind and how we work with it. Then we'll have about a 30-minute walking meditation. And then the second session in here, there the focus will be on mindfulness of judgments, what we see, what they look like, what they are, what the experience of being with them is. And 
Then there'll be lunch about, uh, if I follow my schedule, it'll be about 12.20 or so. And it'll be a full hour. And you can also take naps in here and whatever. And we'll come back at 1.20. Uh, I'll start with a little bit of movement, a little bit of qigong. Uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes of that to help wake us up after the nap. And uh, then the, the third session will focus on heart practices, especially play a very big role in the transformation of the judgmental mind, particularly uh, metta. I, I have to see, I'm, I have on the handout, I, ha- I have some material on forgiveness. I'll see if we will bring that in, uh, not, not positive. And we'll also work with uh, practices that help us start to inquire beneath the surface of judgments. A lot of our most chronic judgments are almost like manufactured regularly according to programs that are somewhat beneath the surface of our minds. I think we know that, right? You know, that the same triggers will lead to the same judgments, right? And so what we want to do, and we'll start that process here, is to start to go beneath the surface to get a sense uh, often of what, uh, in my own language, I'll start to call limiting beliefs. A lot of which are unconscious, a lot of which come from the past, a lot of which come from the culture. And uh, I'll say more about that in a moment, but we'll start to go beneath the surface, really crucial, and there are practices that can take us beneath the surface, that can start start to. It takes time for some of these. Uh, But we'll start to do that in the third session. Then there'll be another uh, approximately half hour walking meditation. The walking meditations may be a little bit shorter, but they'll be at least 20 minutes. And we'll then come back for the fourth session in which we'll continue that looking beneath the surface. I'll be talking more directly about limiting beliefs and we'll do some brief exercises to start to access those. Um, and also the, in that last segment, I'll have a, a limited discussion on bringing these practices into daily life. The, the main focus today will be on inner practices to transform the judgmental mind with some attention to, uh, to daily life practice, a lot of which is using the inner tools in the, cont- in the flow of daily life. Um, and as I mentioned in the original description of the, of the day long, there's an option of being part of a follow-up group. And I'll I'll say more about that later. But what I find is that, as you may gather from the description of a lot of judgments coming from more unconscious territory, it can take time and support to work with the judgmental mind. And so I have found that following up uh, can be very important. So I'm going to be offering that. I'm not sure exactly how we'll organize. There are actually somewhat more people here than I anticipated. I was just going to have like a small group in my home and, you know, like 15 max. And I thought, you know, I'm, I, my guess is that's not going to work. <laughs> so I may have to uh, rent a space and go from there, but we'll work it out. And so I'll say more about that. But the, the, a lot of the further work, particularly with the limiting beliefs and bringing the practice into daily life, we do in the context of the groups. I essentially have about a 15 month curriculum on the, you know, if you think of a once a month meeting, 
over 15 months. We cover more or less the whole curriculum. So it, it's um, you know, in, a, in a way that's not rushed. Right? So, and when I do uh, seven-day retreats on this, we actually cover everything. And there's a chance to go into more depth, but it still takes the follow-up to um, stabilize and integrate the material. Yeah, so that's the, that's the idea. Throughout the, throughout the day long, there'll be an integration of some silent practices, guided practices, some dyads, meeting with other people in the group and talking, and um, discussion, plenty of time for questions and answers. During the walking meditation and in the latter part of the uh, lunch period, um, I'll be available, just, I'll just stay here, um, you know, and probably have to use the bathroom at some point. <laughs> but I will basically just stay here and be available one-on-one. And we also have uh, uh, Robin Gale, who's in the back, who has been working with me for about seven years, you know, uh, closely on this. And she will also be leading uh, a follow-up group, possibly, uh, prob- I would say probably, there'll be uh, uh, two groups. She, does, she has an ongoing group now, and there'll be a few people who can be part of that group, and then probably a new group, but you limit it to eight, right? Eight people, and we'll have more details on that later. And Robin will also be available during the um, walking periods and the last part of lunch, does that work? Okay, maybe last, what, 15, 20 minutes of lunch uh, to be available just to talk one-on-one. Okay, so we will we'll have that. Let's see, so just a few other words about um, sort of holding the day in terms of, um, particularly now in terms of sort of the spirit of the day and some suggested guidelines. At times, people will say things which are quite intimate. And um, we want that to be confidential. We want to have the, the space here be as safe as possible. And so we want to have confidentiality for any stories, any, uh, anything that people share about their own judgments. In terms of recording, I'm going to be uh, recording for Dharma Seed just uh, this first session, that I'll, and the rest I won't be recording. I'll be recording for myself much of the day, but that'll just be for me. Okay? And, uh, but for Dharma Seed, just this first introductory section, which won't have really sharing. When we do sharing, it won't be f- for public consumption. There won't be any recordings for the public. You know. um, so please keep that uh, confidentiality. And related to that is the invitation really to share things which are, um, might be, in, at times be, feel a little risky to speak about, whether in the dyad or in, uh, in the larger group. Okay? That, that's up to you. Also related to that, I want to really invite a kind of compassion and empathy for the investigation of the judgmental mind. I think as we know, there is a lot of pain and suffering connected with this. There can be ways that it actually feels good to judge. (laughs) We'll get into that. 
um, especially judging others. <laughs> okay. Um, it's interesting, you know. There's a, there's a word in the German language, some of you know, called Schadenfreude, which means uh, joy in the suffering of others. <laughs> we don't have that, uh, such a word in English, but the, ex the experience is still there sometimes. Um, so what that means is to hold the day with a sense of empathy and compassion for both self and others. You know, and very, very crucial in this area. And we'll say more, say more about that during the day. And also, generally following the, the uh, core ethical precepts that we have with the, with the Buddhist tradition, which are very similar to what we have in other traditions, which, are to, which boil down really to not deliberately causing harm to self or other. Being careful with one's speech. And... Um, yeah, not taking that which is not given, being being careful, little, maybe, uh, yeah, I'll just say being careful with sexual energy is one of the guidelines, and being careful with, with substances which shift consciousness. Um, I don't know how relevant that is here. Coffee is okay. <laughs> okay, generally. Okay. Maybe last thing to say is, um, have a, we have, I have a general schedule posted in the back. I'll be trying to keep to the general schedule more or less. It's probably not going to be exact. What that means, there may be some times when the discussion is really rip-roaring and really into it, I'm going to have to say we need to move on. Just so please, um, you know, um, understand that. If you, and then that, that's partly the reason we have the time during the... Uh, during the walking period and during lunch for any, any further questions. Okay. Good. I think that's, that's a good starting point. Any, any questions or requests for clarification about just the logistics and basic uh, ground rule structure of the day? I should say that there, there is a sign-up sheet if you're interested in the follow-up group, and I will say more about that. It looks like there'll be, uh, mine will be in, most likely in Berkeley, um, and, the, and Robbins will be in San Rafael. Okay. So one in the East Bay and one in Marin. Okay. What I'd like to hear, first of all, are just uh, hear several of your intentions for being here. And here we'll need the microphone. Could, is it, uh, Jim, would that be your role or someone else's to bring the mic around? And uh, anyone want to share your intention? Maybe just share it in a, like a sentence or two so we can hear, uh, hear several, just to be brief. Yeah, and why don't you say your name also? Hi, I'm Raghu. Yeah. Uh, so I've been uh, practicing uh, since the last, I guess, uh, six to eight months. Uh, and in the last few months, I've been more serious about it and I've been doing more. But I also realized that there's, there's an aspect of it which is like kind of too tight about it. And if I don't do it enough, there's that kind of thing comes up. It's almost like, uh, you know, it's, it's an aspect of being ju uh, the judgmental side of uh, the attitude. And yeah. that's something I want to work with. So finding some self judgment of oneself in one's practice. Okay. Great, thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. 
And anyone else? See if you can uh, just make it just one or two sentences. We don't need uh, and, and limit it to that. I'm Elizabeth, and uh, I I know somewhere that uh, most of my beliefs are could be defined as judgment based. Yeah. And also the structure of my what I think is the structure of myself also is based on those same things. And yeah. I'm just very, uh, very excited to think of Great. starting to discover that. Great, yeah. So what we'll find is, yeah, that this can go uh, very deeply. Up front we have two more. My name is Kim, and um, I have been looking at the way that I judge people for quite some time now with um, limited success at, at times, but also some success. But um, what's been going on lately is that I'm allowing the outside judgment, especially of family members, to affect how I see things. And so I'm, I'm sort of looking for a way to deal with that outside judgment coming in as well. So working with judgments coming at one, yeah, at oneself. Right behind, Kim. Hi, my name is Anu, and I was, I was interested in work, actually, with the, Kim already mentioned it about judging from others. Yeah. So, and you mentioned already the cultural aspect of it. So coming from India, it's a highly judgmental, I mean, culture where people are always judging the others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to explore that. And uh, I think I perceive twice as many more people judging me as well. Yeah, yeah. So I <laughs> wanted so, to investigate. So, yeah, looking at the cultural dimensions and looking at the uh, judgments coming at one. And of course, you've come to a and culture. And perception also. And right? percep you've come to a culture which is remarkably <laughs> free of. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't finish that sentence. Remarkably free of uh, self-awareness about judgments. <laughs> so maybe one or two more. Hi. My name's Nan, and I notice there's a lot of suffering that comes with my judgments mm. of self and others. So I'm seeking relief um, mm. and to develop more compassion and acceptance for the way things are. Yeah, seeking relief and compassion from the suffering of judgments. Let me just add, I could have asked this for all the other questions. How many can relate to that? Okay, very good. And how many can relate to being interested in the cultural dimensions of judgments, right? Very good. How many can relate to working with judgments coming at oneself? Yeah. And how about uh, judgments that might be there, like uh, from Raghu's a comment about uh, about one's own spiritual practice. Yeah, very very much. Yeah, thank you. Did I miss anyone's other point? Okay, family. family. How many can relate to? <laughs> okay, I, I don't have to finish the question. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes said that uh, what. Uh, they installed our buttons, and therefore they know how to push them. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe one more, would that be? 
My, my name is Roberta, and I want to work on my judgments that I project onto other people. Right. Great. Working on judgments that one projects onto others. How many can relate to that? Okay. So these are, these are great intentions that are very, very central. Every, everyone really names something really, really crucial. And, and we'll, uh, we'll see about really touching, I think we'll touch almost all of these, and they can be also uh, themes that we look into further during the discussion. And some of, each of us will have a particular uh, entryway into working with judgments. So let me take probably the rest of this uh, session to give an overview of how I understand uh, the judgmental mind and how it gets transformed. And I should say that uh, this has come primarily out of my own inner work and then work with, with others. How should I say this? Uh, I came unexpectedly to be teaching on this. And the fact that I'm teaching on it is not simply a coincidence. <laughs> Biographically, if you get my gist. Meaning that uh, at a certain point, uh, I noticed, which I had noticed for a long time, I was working with my own judgmental mind. And I had several periods of working intensively with it. And I'll actually bring in during the course of the day some examples from, from my own experience and from some of those um, really more intensive periods. I had two probably, two probably three or four year periods of working intensively. And a lot of what I've developed comes out of that period and I've integrated some other, you know, integrated over the years uh, different materials such as related to the social dimension, such as uh, ways of getting at the limiting beliefs that weren't initially part of my, you know, the inner work that I did, but I've brought, have brought those in. And over the years, it's interesting, have something like a pretty full system or model of working with judgments. And I'm actually going to go on a kind of sabbatical in about a, a month or two and try to bring this together and finish a book on the topic. And um, get it out there, because it's, um, it's a big issue, right? It's, this is, this is on, you know, as a meditation teacher, we have lists of the top five or the top the uh, ten themes that people bring up during retreats, during times of practice, in one-on-one -on -one work, and this may be number one. It's definitely the top two or three. It's right up there. It's a very, very endemic issue in our culture. I remember quite a number of years ago, I was uh, living at the Insight Meditation Society for about seven or eight months in Massachusetts. It's the sister center for Spirit Rock. And I was uh, at staying there when the Dalai Lama came. It's like, I just stayed there. Dalai Lama came to visit me. <laughs> this is his, his first trip to the U.S. And there was a, he gave a talk, and there was a question and answer period. 
and someone had the question and said it like this, um, I don't think I deserve love, please comment. <laughs> and he went back and forth with the translator, he speaks pretty good English, very quite good English, um, at that time quite good English, and he went back and forth for maybe three or four minutes with the translator in Tibetan, and he clearly wasn't sure that he got what this person was talking about. And then at the end of that back and forth with the translator, he blurted out, you're wrong, you deserve love. <laughs> Which was kind of undali, uncharacteristically, how should I say it, undalai Lama-like, <laughs> right? Usually gentle, flowing, humorous, but he was very, and he later said, that he didn't understand the depths of self-hatred that exist in Western culture. And he later said he took two years to try to understand it, talking with psychologists, Western psychologists, and so forth. So it's a very deep and endemic issue I think, I, some, I, won't, I won't go so much into that, I th sometimes think that it's the occupational hazard of individuation, and indiv you know, especially with an individualistic culture. A lot of other cultures have plenty of other issues, right? <laughs> but they don't have, may not have this one so much. And it may be also it may be the self-judgment, because the judgment of others, maybe that's like what you were saying, judgment of others has been around much longer. The self-judgment is something that may be a little bit newer. Judgment of others, I mean, you can go back to the uh, Christian Bible, right? Jesus, judge not lest ye be judged, you know? You know, hypocrite. You know, you say that your brother has a plank in his eye, or you say your brother has a plank or a splinter in his eye, but take a look at yourself. You have a plank in your eye. Take care of the plank before you take care of the splinter. <laughs> Right? Remember that? Some of you. And um, so I think judging others has been around for a while, but self-judgment may be, may be something to do with individuation. You know, uh, in my time in Asia, I didn't see it there. Again, I think the rest of the world is quickly learning, I have to say. I think it, it comes with modernity, and it comes with greater, my, this is my own speculation, it comes with greater individuation, you know. Um, so it's a very big issue, and I should maybe right away give a, give a more precise definition of what I mean by being judgmental and the way I'll use language today. In English, the word judgment means many things. Sometimes people use it to mean judgmental. You know, especially in California, we, we, we sometimes say, oh, that was a judgment. Right, um, But in the ordinary, you probably have a different response on the East Coast if you use that word. I don't know. Um, but generally, in English, the word judgment is used in quite a number of ways. Sometimes it's used neutrally, simply to mean a discernment or a noticing. And so we could say the engineers made a had, a had the judgment that the bridge would withstand this level of winds, right? We sometimes use that way, or I got up this morning and judged that um, it wouldn't rain today, so I 
didn't bring a rain jacket, right? or um, the you know, the uh, diving judges uh, judged that dive to be uh, a 7.9 or something like that, right? And so we could we use that word in ways that are often quite neutral, that have to do simply with some noticing, some observation, some discernment. That is a common way that we use the word judgment. What we're pointing to today and what uh, I think everyone in the intentions, uh, in the stated intentions was pointing to, to something which is different from that. And it's something where there's some kind of charge, some kind of reactivity, some kind of edge, as I was saying, in the uh, guided practice. Uh, And so I have a general, simple account of the judgment as typically some kind of noticing or discernment or observation linked with reactivity. And reactivity is language we often use in Buddhist meditation to mean some kind of grabbing hold of something or some kind of pushing away, both of those are a little more compulsive. So we know that a lot of judgments are just so automatic, right? Someone says something to you and you, we immediately react judgmentally, you know, you know, um, you know, like someone says something kind of mean to me and I just say back, you're a fool. I would never do that, of course, it's just an example. Um, but we, we react, you know, we react back in that way. Or um, I, I see, you know, I don't know, I'm... Uh, we, we have a lot of examples of being judgmental and driving. I may see the traffic may be uh, blocked, you know, uh, in a traffic jam, and I may see a car going down the breakdown lane and make a comment, a, a reactive comment. So I notice something, Right, that's there, but I, I, it's, it's reactive. I said that, you know. I know. I, I remember once when uh, the um, connector between 101 and the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. I, I live in Berkeley. The Richmond San Rafael Bridge was being worked on, and there were always long waits. And I remember being on that and watching someone drive down the breakdown lane and say something like. Selfishness is just getting so out of hand in this culture, <laughs> you know, and or some comment, you know, and it was reactive, but I was noticing something. And then I remember one instance when that happened, when, when the traffic got moving again, I saw that that car was stopped next to a car that had broken down and was giving some help, right? So it was an interesting learning experience, right? And so we can have we can notice something, or in social justice issues, there's a lot of noticing, right? I can notice, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get into the presidential debates, but, <laughs> but you, know, you know, we can say, I notice this person says something, let's say, you know, which is blank, you fill in the blank, right? Which is whatever. Um, 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 dangerous, or you know, or racist, or um, um, negative, or whatever, whatever we say. And um, anyone ever notice yourself judgmental about the presidential candidates? <laughs> Just a handful here. Okay, 
Okay. And so uh, we may be actually noticing something, but there's a charge or an edge, right? So it's actually a big issue for anyone working for social change. I, I've actually done workshops with social change people on this topic. And it's a big issue because, of course, what often happens in a lot of social change organizations, the outer judgments which one makes of one's quote-unquote opponents often gets turned back to other members of one's own group. People I've worked with said that this was an endemic problem, continual problem, right? And so, but you can see in the political example, there can be some very legitimate noticing, right? Really a, an important discernment, but it gets linked with reactivity. So you, this is what I'm going to say is the characteristic of the judgmental mind, that there's some kind of noticing linked with reactivity. I'm going to mostly focus on more negative judgments today. I think that they're positive judgments as well. In Buddhist psychology, the negative judgments are the pushing away in some compulsive way, and the positive judgments are the grabbing hold. I think we can do that with ourselves. I can judge myself, oh, I'm really so cool <laughs> in this way. Or I could say, you know, my son is clearly the cream of his middle school class. <laughs> you know? And I might be noticing some real things, right? That's the discernment. But I'm, there's a grabbing hold. There's something. And uh, positive judgments are interesting. I'm, again, I'm not going to go so much into them today, mostly focusing on negative ones. That's where the, the link with suffering is more obvious, right? It's a little more obvious with the negative ones. I think there is plenty of suffering with the positive ones. You know? Um, And so I sometimes think about the judge, what we could call judgments in the sense of judgmental mind, as some kind of noticing or observation or discernment linked with an emotional sledgehammer. So there are two aspects to it at least. What that means, and this is actually, there are a lot of important implications if that is accurate, which, which I have found. Uh, one of them is, is that uh, what I'm calling judgments, and I should say that from now on I'll be using judgments in the sense of judgmental. Again, I'm going to be using that today, even though in English we would use judgment in multiple ways. Here I'm going to, when I use the word judgment, for simplicity's sake, I'll be referring to judgments which are judgmental. And for uh, kind of the aspect of noticing or observation, I'll use the word discernment. Okay, and that'll mean that it's neutral. There's not the charge with it. Uh, it's some kind of noticing. Okay, that's the language I'll use today. And we have to. I think we have to make some kind of distinction. It could be done with other language, but that's that's a very important distinction, and that's the one I'll keep to. Now, a lot of implications <coughs> of the fact uh, of seeing judgments in this way. It means that the judgmental mind is is complex. It's not simple. And it means that ultimately it's possible to make use of the discernment and have transformed and in some ways eliminated the reactivity. I'll say that in a different way. The aim of this work <clears throat> is to transform judgments so that we separate out the discernment from the reactivity, transform the reactivity, so that we can work with the, be with the discernment free of the reactivity, 
and then use the discernment for the purposes of compassionate action. In whatever context we're in, whether towards oneself. In other words, I may notice something that I have, you know, let's say I got an evaluation from at work and it triggered self-judgment, right? Could often be the case. On the other hand, there might be something there I could learn from, right? And so the aim would be to work through the self-judgment and make use of whatever was there that was actually discernment for the purposes of learning, right? That'd be a simple example. Or in terms of politics or social change, could I make use of what I'm seeing but not be so reactive? And arguably, when when I look to people like uh, Dr. King or Gandhi, this is what they were doing all the time. They were using the discernment, not giving that up. That's a really important point because if you listen to other people talk about the judgmental mind, you'll at times hear the sense that judgments are bad, right? Get rid of judgments. What's that doing? Pushing away the judgments. Yeah, anyone else? Making them bad, yeah. And, and, and all, we could say that in a way, it's judging the judgments, right? Does that make some sense? We're judge, we actually have reactivity towards the judgments, which is we're in the same loop. It just kind of looks like it's not, right? Do you get that? It's interesting, isn't it? Right, so I often hear other people, even colleagues at Spirit Rock, sometimes saying, judgments, bad, get rid of them. And while there's something valuable about transforming them, I think that's misguided. Because when we give up the judgment, we give up the discernment. A lot of, one, another way to say this is that judgments typically carry intelligence, different kinds of intelligence. A lot of judgments are moral in nature, moral or ethical in nature. And you'll find a lot of them, you know, if someone does something which you find ethically or morally problematic, you may find yourself being judgmental. And that would be the reactivity linked with the discernment, but the discernment's important, right? In that instance, someone does something unethical to you and you're really judgmental. What we want to do is to work with that so we can actually respond to what was unethical. Might be really accurate there, right? When it gets into reactivity, it makes the whole situation much less workable because people feel the reactivity and most of us, what we most don't want is to be judged. It's very deep, right? We we know that, right? And so, I mean, that's getting a little bit ahead to the um, way we work in daily life because we want to, you know, another training which won't be part of the day. How can we use language in a way which is non-judgmental. Very important in relationships and work and so forth, because how can I make use of the discernment, work through my reactivity and still respond to another person who's done something that I find unethical? Not easy, right? Most of us will tend to go to the, the judgment, which will tend to get us into a polarized stance, and we're ultimately probably, ultimately gonna be judgmental towards each other and get stuck, right? How many, for how many is that stuck quality pretty familiar at times, right? It's very common, right? And you, but you understand why that's the case. And maybe just a few more words. 
about that. So you get that distinction. And so um, judgments are not the enemy. Judgments carry intelligence, often moral. Um, Freud <clears throat> and a lot of uh, contemporary psychology, Freud saw what he called the superego, which is not a good translation, uh, but anyway, I'll just stay with that. Um, he saw the superego, which is really linked with what we would call judgments, he saw it as essentially a moral part of our being. It was especially helping us to um, st stay ethically, uh, keep ethical integrity. Interesting. And he also saw that it could really be abused. You know? And so it's in that tradition, there was a link of what we call judgments with being ethical. And it was kind of like you internalize the voice of your parents or the culture so you can act uh, ethically. Right? And there's that voice that says, not good, not right, right? That, that speaks up. It can be helpful. It also can be quite punitive, right? And overbearing and cause a lot of suffering. So complex. But I just wanted to mention that that is in the psychological traditions as well, that link. With that. So judgments arguably carry intelligence of different kinds. Something that is to be respected and valued and uh, sometimes with our old judgments, that intelli the intelligence was maybe there initially, you know, and I'll get into some examples later, and it may not be so strong right now. You know, in other words, let's, I'll give one example. Let's suppose that um, my parents, when I was four, were uncomfortable with my anger, which is quite typical in this culture were uncomfortable with my anger and they told me, don't be angry. And they basically said, you know, said anger is bad. Anyone have that conditioning? Yeah, quite a, quite a number of us. And, and let's say that I, uh, I started, so I learned, I internalized it. When I started getting angry, I would say bad. And I you know, might even, as an adult, judge myself for getting angry with someone, right? If I took in that conditioning. And I would judge other kids, right? I'd be nine years old. Someone would do something that was, you know, I didn't think was right, and say, bad boy, you know, bad girl, right? And I would be judgmental because I've internalized that, right? And um, there the intelligence is, it's, it's, it's the intelligence of actually choosing to survive by doing what my parents at age four think is a good idea, right? And there's a certain intelligence there when I've repeated it a hundred thousand or a million times and I'm 35 years old, it's not deeply intelligent, right? But originally it had some intelligence. Does that make some sense? So that, that's a sort of a qualification of what I'm saying. Some of the judgments will be so old that they were maybe initially intelligent, but they've been repeated so many times, they're of limited use. But it's good to see that the judgment initially had a protective nature. It's quite important. So they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. And it's really to, to uh, transform them. Maybe one or two more things to say, then we'll do some walking. I have found that working with judgments, as I think, uh, I think Roberta was saying, or maybe, maybe someone else, uh, can actually take us very deeply. 
partly because a lot of the judgments are at quite deep levels of our psyche and of our being, that if we follow the trail of judgments, it will take us very, very deeply into things which are beneath the surface, which are um, in some ways ruling our lives, often without our knowing how it's happening, right? And so when we work with the judgmental mind, we have the potential of um, going quite deeply and going quite far beneath the surface and see getting to this level of what I've called limiting beliefs, which may have been installed at age three or four or five or eight by, by, by some combination of the family and the culture. Right? And um, it's quite powerful to work with them and just see where they go. They can take us quite deeply. I have found with a lot of people, it's the judgmental mind, which is a kind of barrier against going more deeply spiritually with opening up to greater love or greater wisdom. And so I have seen both with myself and with others how work with the judgmental mind can, when it has a certain um, level of uh, working through, can start to open up some depths, which if we don't, haven't done that work, it's very hard to access, and certainly hard to access in a stable way. Some of the depths of compassion, her love, her wisdom. And so for me, I see this work as very central work in this culture. And it's almost like uh, the Tibetans have a, a term for initial practices that they do called preliminary practices, which one does before one gets the deeper practices. And I think that this work has some uh, affinity to that sense of preliminary practice. It can take a while, but it can really uh, help us open yet more fully. And I've seen this a lot, uh, you know, as like with uh, Raghu's comment, I've seen this a lot with practitioners, some of whom have been practicing for 20 or 30 years, and these issues are still there. And when they work with them, something gets opened up further. It makes sense, right? You know, if, we're, if we constantly get triggered in our spiritual practice or in our everyday life by certain phenomena, we have these old... Uh, limiting beliefs that have been, you know, that have followed the same neural pathways, uh, you know, a million times. They have a certain momentum and they're going to show up, you know, even though we're quote-unquote doing spiritual practice, right? They're going to show up there and they're going to make more depth harder, right? So this, um, again, uh, there's a phrase that Freud used. He talked about dreams as the royal road to the unconscious, And I like to think of uh, judgments as, in part, a kind of royal road to take us deeper. It's not the only road, but it's a very fundamental road. So so here, uh, in this day long, we'll be using a number of different tools that help us to do this transformative work. Ultimately, (laughs) the working through the reactivity and the... uh, uh, I, you know, uh, making use of the discernment, but working through the reactivity. So our initial tool will be mindfulness. We have to notice the judgment. So a lot of what we do initially, and I'll talk about this in more depth in the next session, uh, a lot of what we do uh, initially is just to get really familiar <coughs> with our top five or top ten judgments. It's not altogether fun. 
the Tibetan teacher Trungpa Rinpoche said, self-knowledge is 70% bad news. <laughs> <laughs> the proportion may be a little different for you, but, but you, so certainly about judgments is, oh God, I'm doing that again. Oh God, I'm doing that again. Oh God, I'm doing that again. So many judgments. I'm just the judgment machine. You know? So we want to be especially careful for the judgment about how many judgments there are. I call that a stealth judgment because it kind of flies under the radar. Because, okay, that's just the obvious truth. See, that's the thing that judgments do. They uh, present themselves, because there's some discernment, they present themselves as being just the truth. Right? That's how they work. Right? This is just the truth because they're, they, they don't acknowledge the reactivity, right? They just say, there's just truth there, so I'm just the truth. Just accept me and be reactive. It's kind of like that, right? It's interesting, isn't it? That's, how the, that's the hook, we might say. The, the, the truth value or the discernment is the hook, and we generally bite. Right? We bite like that. So um, we want to use mindfulness. Ultimately, we want to get really familiar <coughs> with all our judgments, and mindfulness plays a key role because we don't so much get rid of them, but we notice them sooner and don't feed them or act on them. That's the progression of practice, right? So we get really familiar with them, so maybe some really big charge one comes up in the moment, and I say, oh, there I go again. I'm doing that again, and I notice it, and I have a certain energy that will just reinforce it and keep it going maybe towards another person, and I just say, I'm not going there. But we need the mindfulness. So we have to strengthen the mindfulness over and over again so we can see. We also want to use heart practices a lot. We'll do that in the afternoon. So when I teach the retreats, I use six heart practices. We use loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, forgiveness, and gratitude. It couldn't even include further ones. But we, we use a lot of heart practices that help us stay in that compassionate heart because as you can see to transform judgments to a certain extent is to go into painful territory to a certain extent and so we use the heart practices in a number of different ways partly they just give us a different way of being you know when we connect with the kind heart or with a sense of love and we strengthen that we're essentially strengthening what we might call awakened qualities that are non-judgmental. And we want to keep strengthening those. And the heart practices are particularly important. And we actually can do that independently of looking at judgments. And so for some of us, it may be really crucial, even as a first step, just to really strengthen the kind heart. And sometimes a lot of the transformation occurs not so much by going into the judgments and transforming them, but by actually developing almost like an alternative center that's linked with love and kindness and forgiveness and getting that stronger. And sometimes the judgments aren't so much defeated as they are um, more in the minority, shall I say, because our awakened qualities get stronger. And so we use the heart practice in that way. We also use them at times when they're strong, we can use them as an antidote to uh, get out of a stuck place. You know, something difficult happened yesterday, 
I wake up at 3 a.m., I'm really judgmental of myself. At those moments, I can call on the heart practices to come and help me shift out of that rather than have a really difficult night. When we practice them every day, they will have that power to do that. But you need to practice. They won't have the power if you do it occasionally. They can have that practice, a power to do that. And, um, and they also kind of help soften the mind and give it the balance and the resources to go into the difficult places. So really crucial. We'll look at that this afternoon. And we'll use, as I mentioned, uh, inquiry practices for going beneath the surface. Uh, we'll look at limiting beliefs. Um, in the follow-up group, um, do a lot with communication, interacting with people, knowing what to do when a judgment comes at you, and so forth. We have little role plays. You can ask someone to be your really, you know, I don't know, your family member or whatever. And so there uh, there are a lot of different tools, but the main ones we'll look at today are mindfulness, heart practices, particularly metta today, possibly forgiveness, and then the inquiry practices which start going beneath the surface. That's what we'll look at mostly today. In the group, we bring in quite a number of other tools, other heart practices and so forth. Okay. Okay, I think that's enough for now. Let's um, move to walking meditation. And um, let me give some very brief instructions and then we'll, we'll do walking. And I think we'll, um, we'll come back, let's say at 11.20, uh, which is, we'll do about a 20 minute walking period. And of course you can use the bathroom during that time and know that, you know, look at the schedule like for the afternoon, you'll know that will be in here a certain amount of time. Be in here about an hour and a half in the afternoon, then um, you can use the bathroom. But of course, if you need to, you can just go at any time. Uh, but you can know that that one, that period is coming. And let's see. Um, yeah, let's do, uh, let's do some walking meditation now. And Jim, we could turn off the, turn off the recording. Good, so the, the walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.